Hey everybody, hi, um, it's Jake, welcome to Praise Dionysus, praise him. Um, it's, as you can maybe tell by my, my candle-lit tone, it's another uh, Just Me episode. Uh, James is going through some stuff and it's already a hefty couple weeks for the two of us, so it's just like, it's just eventuated that, um, yeah, this one, this one is just me again. So if that makes you dry heave... You're welcome to turn this off or stick around and just enjoy that agony. I'm certainly one who has spent an embarrassing amount of time listening to um, the <laughs> the artistry of, of people whose opinions I can't stand. Um, it's it's a particular type of divine agony. Um, so, uh, but I, I hope, yeah, I hope this doesn't elicit any sort of rage inside of you. The thought of me just talking to your ears for a little while. Um... I, I say candle lit quite literally because it is, I've just lit a bunch of candles. I've had like a big day at the goddamn theater, um, and seeing theater that is, um, uh, yeah. So I just got home and yeah, spoke to James, decided, yeah, that a, that a one man little production was necessary. Um, and thought, you know what, Jake, make a moment, make a, <laughs> make a vibe of it. <laughs> um, yeah. So now it's, you know, get into the bath. <laughs> Put some, put some candles on, play some orchestral music. Um, I've been listening to Salieri. Salieri is my go-to because Amadeus convinced me that he's an underdog and, you know, you and me, we're, we're into the underdogs. Sorry that this introduction is so long. What I'm going to attempt to do is like on the tram home, I kind of put together like a little list of some of the shows that I've seen at Fringe this year. Um, and... Yeah, and sort of, like, picked the ones that I thought I could, uh, like, sort of adequately sort of represent and walk you through um, just me. Um, that's not to say that uh, James would be redundant if I were to bring them up with him, but these are the ones that kind of, like, make sense to me at least to kind of just sort of, like, soliloquize about. Um, and and some, too, that I'm just kind of, like, still working through as well, and I'm sort of intrigued by the idea of um, just sort of conveyor belting out some thoughts I'm having to you um, invisible creature that you are. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know, maybe you'll find it interesting. I don't know. Fingers crossed. Let's all cross our fingers. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So just, uh, yeah, the shows, well, we'll start with the, the, the first show will be a show that I like literally just saw a show that I, um, was applauding at maybe like an hour and a half ago. So, uh, the first show is going to be just James by James Ward. And then William Boyd is nice by William Boyd. Just Super by Eddie Patterson, Manifesto by Riley Nottingham, and the fifth and final show that I'll be talking with you about um, is Pops by Charlie Josephine. We're gonna we're gonna go for five. Um, if I if I don't make it, then <laughs> then I'll come back and re-record this introduction. Um, or you know what? No, I'll keep it and I'll just apologize at the end. But we're gonna do it. We're absolutely gonna get through all five of these, and it's gonna be just increasingly, just more and more fascinating and captivating. There'll be twists, there'll be turns, um, there'll be a climax or two. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, this <laughs> the longest intro in history. Um, let's do the intro music. Thank you so much for being here. Yep, still me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. So I had a, like a big day at the theater today. Um, 
it's yeah, that's just the way this. Yeah. Welcome back to Fringe Tasia. Um, anyway, sorry if you can't tell, I'm mildly scattered, but I'm pulling myself together as we speak. Uh, yeah, I sorry, I had the epiphany walking from like the tram to my house uh, that I don't know. I as I've said to you before, I avoid TikTok as best I can, but it's right there. <laughs> um, and the other day, I I I'm, I'm certainly I have some of my feet in the, the, the side of TikTok that is just giving you advice on how to manifest um, better things in your life. <laughs> uh, and I realized on the walk from the tram to my house that I had managed to manifest. It was one of those ones where it's like some really smug, witchy looking person being like, hey, um, what I'm going to want you to do is just pick something super random, just like pick like a really random image um, that could happen, but you don't really expect it to happen. Just think about it, hold it, keep it in your mind. And now three, two, one, let it go. And just trust me, it will come to you in the next week or so it will come. And I had the realization during my walk that it's like, oh my God, that thing I imagined happened. <laughs> um, I won't get into the details because it is not interesting, um, but it happened. So, um, uh, you're welcome to follow my my paraphrased instructions and try to perform your own little <laughs> um, yeah little ceremony because yeah it worked um, and I'm gonna try it again <laughs> uh, yeah saw three shows today there was like a gulf of time in the middle um, of the first and the second one and I I spent that time. Um, partially just walking around Big W because it's my new chemist warehouse. I think it's my new comfortable place for my brain to be. Um, and I finally bit the bullet and bought the DVD of Maleficent 2. <laughs> it's just another of the, you know, that, that ever lengthening list of sequels that are better than the original. Um, if you haven't seen it, I, I really think you should. It's really good. Um, <laughs> and I can't wait to watch it again, honestly. I'm really glad that I own it. Um, I also bought like a version of Little Women that isn't the masterpiece Greta Gerwig version and isn't the Kirsten Dunst Little Women. It's some other Little Women. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to, to watching that. And then, of course, washing it down with a, a thorough rewatch of Greta's version again, because it's perfect cinema. Uh Anyway, what am I going to... Okay, so I need to... What? I'll, I'll rate the last couple of days out of five stars. What are we going to go with, even? This is really important. Um, yes, yeah, you know, scooch back. You don't need to be on the edge of your seat like that. It's fine. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it 17 stars because I think that's the amount of time... No, if I'm going to be honest, I, it'd have to be like... Oh, no, nine. I'll give it nine stars. I was not doing this for 17 minutes. For, for like nine minutes. I don't know if this is a thing that you... This is definitely not a thing that I invented, but it's a thing that I happened upon on my own <laughs> with my own broken brain. I realized that a helpful thing to do is like, <laughs> this is not... Do, do not consider this to be a psychiatric help because no, not from me. <laughs> uh, this thing that you can do <laughs> that I've, I've, I believe came out of my brain, but again, not taking credit for it, but, but this thing you can do if you have a thing that you feel like you want to talk through with a person before you do that. And if you've, you've got some time to kill, what you can do is you can just stand in the city, put your phone up to your head and just pretend to be having a conversation about the thing that you're trying to work through. And what happens is you start hearing your words out loud and then it helps you straighten your thoughts out. I don't know. So I was doing that for approximately nine minutes today. I was feeling <laughs> overwhelmed by nothing uh, in classic style. Uh, 
end. And that's my advice to you. Maybe do that. Especially do that if you're otherwise going to potentially just burden somebody with some poorly formed thoughts. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's that. Nine stars. Let's move on to talking about some theatre. Thank you again for being here, my God. Hey, so... Sorry. <laughs> sorry, please do not... <laughs> stop out loud criticising my... <laughs> my talk to yourself on the phone method. I'm realising that it sounds a bit like I think that I invented the idea of thinking, but that's not what I'm saying. Um, and it's rude of you to suggest that. Anyway, uh, so the first show we're talking about uh, is called Just James um, by James Ward. Uh, yeah, and it's so... <laughs> The appeal of this was I was looking through the fringe guide and the description of the plot was something like um, it's like two kids in a trench coat. It's like, you know, the classic trope of trench coterie tomfoolery. Uh, and I was like, how is this a show? I don't understand. <laughs> um, and so I had to get in on the action uh, and yeah, then turned up. And uh, again, I just saw this. So everything is kind of like, and this is part of why I was excited to kind of rush home and light these candles and sit with you in the bath and talk about um, this show especially because um, because it was such a unique experience that I really appreciated um, and and I, I say unique in the in the in the in the positive sincere sense not in not in a way that some people say interesting when they mean that dress looks terrible um, on you uh, yeah, because uh, yeah so I guess what will I explain it's it's James Ward, this stranger who is marvelously talented uh, and kind of emerges from behind this curtain and he's in this trench coat that kind of somehow completely encases him and extends far up beyond the top of his body. Um, and for the most part, um, the, the head portion of the trench coat is occupied by the head of a puppet that he's operating from within the trench coat. And it's truly this <laughs> very remarkable feat of engineering the way that he's managed to kind of house himself inside of this trench coat. It was really wonderful. And the trench coat itself is full of all these like, marvelous tricks. Um, he manages to have like shadow puppetry happen at one point. Uh, and it's, I, I bet, I, I, I don't know enough about <laughs> puppetry, puppets, coats, coterie. I, d to, you know, compliment these things effectively or to tell you in which ways they were groundbreaking because I assume that they were, but I don't know specifically how. I suppose what it was was technically ventriloquism, I guess. Like the moment that a puppet starts talking, presuming that they haven't, uh, you know, that, that, that Geppetto hasn't fashioned functional vocal cords, I assume that all puppetry becomes ventriloquism. Maybe ventriloquism, the face of the puppeteer has to be visible. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> whatever this was, it was great. And I'll explain why it was great, I suppose. Um, because the style of comedy that it was, was like, it was a species of comedy that I don't recall ever having experienced before. And it was the type of really, it was the type, it was, I was in this one man show, um, where the lead was a puppet, <laughs> uh, and it made me feel it. I, I had moments during this show where I was like, I, I went to the show by myself, and I was sitting there. The man beside me introduced himself to me very sweetly uh, at the start. That's just an additional little fact for you to enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, we. I, I, it was like watching this, and like I was like giggling throughout this really wonderful show. 
and feeling this like, very unfamiliar sense of like, oh my God, this is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And, and, and part of like, outside of that being a factual sentence, it was, to come back to the unique, uniqueness of it, is like, it, it managed to like, it got its fingers to a corner of my brain that comedy rarely reaches around to. And, and, and part of what was so joyful about getting to experience that was not just getting to laugh at something that you haven't gotten to laugh at <laughs> lately, <laughs> um, whatever that means. But part of it was like, I don't know, when I was like studying my master's, pause for applause. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I have a master's. Isn't that incredible? I, part of what we, when we were just spending a lot of time talking about storytelling, um, which was a lot of what the master's was, um, t- talking about storytelling and the, the one person um, who had written something that we were reading about the craft of storytelling and playwriting especially um, was about I don't, what they considered to be an integral part of effective storytelling was having your text be a way of transporting someone to a world that, that they half suspected existed. And I don't know why, maybe I do sort of know why this piece made me think about that remark. And it is less to do with the world that was being built, because it's not as if I half suspected there's a world where a man and a puppet occupy a trench coat. Um, but I, I wish a girl can dream. Uh, but, um, but somehow that that phrase or philosophy throughout this show in my mind applied itself to a comedic sense, I suppose, in the way of like, and to do with like the communal experience of theater um, in the way of, it felt like the things that I was laughing at and the things that made James's work and writing uh, so effectively and bewilderingly like wonderfully hilarious uh, was the fact that it seemed like the, the, the things that I found myself laughing at, the things that he said and the jokes he was telling, the, the jokes he was telling felt like things that I was laughing at because I felt like no one else ever thought the things he was saying were funny before. Somehow the things that he was illuminating with his words were like, oh my God, these are, I don't know. It, it, the, the, the thoughts, I don't know, the sorts of things that you laugh at kind of like privately to yourself that you would never bother saying to somebody else. It was that kind of like, yeah, species of comedy. Um, it's tricky to explain because I just have never had to describe this experience before. Um, but some, sometimes like during sequences of it, it felt almost like it was operating like a dream does. Like it was <laughs> linguistically somehow it was just walk like the, the way it sort of meandered so surprisingly and wonderfully from like one moment to the next felt like it was operating from a place of subconsciousness or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the sort of it's the sort of show, and I've so, I'm certainly you've experienced this as well. Where it's like it's the sort of show where you would only recommend it to very particular people, um, uh, because I, I, the, while I was watching it, it was like okay, I know six people that would really really enjoy this, and I have this other group of people that I'd really enjoy being like oh, if you, it's like, I don't know, you probably have like those those personal private little things like a movie you really love or a thing you grew up with or a, or a, I don't know, for some reason, like a celebrity or something that really, really resonates with you, with you and it's very, I don't know, in a way that feels very inherent and private to you. And 
you could you could if you wanted to share that with a person be like okay watch Shakespeare in Love there's something about Gwyneth Paltrow's performance and the film as a whole that just it, it touches me in a way that nothing else has sometimes some somehow this art it just is the right shape to fit into this particular combo of crevices that I love having touched and nothing else touches me quite like Gwen <laughs> uh, uh, yeah somehow this felt kind of like some sort of comedic version of that somehow it was uh, yeah James is just like marvelous on stage and again the type of presence that I haven't seen in quite a while just kind of like this uh, I don't know it's like a like a tender ruggedness um just like a, this beautiful speaking voice um yeah again I'm still like <laughs> riding the high of having very recently witnessed what what is certain to be one of the highlights of this year's fringe festival for me um and so that's why I'm I don't know yeah yeah still a little flummoxed by it um but yeah um please let me know if you see it again it's the type of strange that I am clearly still learning to talk about uh so if you want to engage me in that discourse, I'd appreciate it. Um, and if it's still going, I don't know when you're listening to this, as I, I don't know, irritatingly keep saying, I don't know when you're listening to this, <laughs> but if, yeah, if Just James is still happening, I would suggest getting there. Um, worst case scenario, you find a new reason to hate me and my taste. Um, best case scenario, you have an experience as uniquely wondrous as the one I had. Um, yeah, it was a great time. Okay, so the other night I went to the Butterfly Club to see uh, William Boyd is nice. Um, full disclosure. So, uh, so uh, William is a friend of mine. Um, I met him through his, you know, residency in Chumsville, etc. Uh, but yeah, so just flagging that immediately. Um, also, I saw him workshop this material, like much of the material that is in the show. I watched him workshop some of the material a month or so ago, um, which doesn't affect anything. I just thought that, you know, there's an interesting little, little tidbit for you. So it was, it was cool, of course, to sort of see what had developed because beti- like between seeing that material in its rawer form, um, it's been to Sydney and back. So uh, it's cool to have, to, to see material that, you know, has, you know, traveled around that much, I think is interesting <laughs> anyway. Um, so the, the, the piece itself is, um, intended sort of like as an exploration and examination and um of where in terms of like what the synopsis says and what some of the things that get brought up during the piece it's about will wanting to seem nice um to other people um and but then like i'd say even more so than that it's also him it's largely him drawing from his life as a performer the things that he thinks about as a performer and also uh, looking at his childhood and kind of like in a way that I feel like I would struggle to do, he looks at his childhood and sort of like picks parts out to turn into comedy. Uh, and watching this iteration of the show, like watching the show and then reflecting on it and now talking to you about it now, <laughs> throughout that four-wheel drive journey, I have thought about um, if I could do that with much ease. And I think like, I consider it to be more interesting than the answer to that question <laughs> is the realization that I would assume that if I were to look at my childhood or anything and to turn it into a piece of theater in a way 
that I imagine to be similar to the process that Will undertook with this, I'd be like, I think I would be much more likely to produce a piece of drama or tragedy than comedy. <laughs> Certainly not sketch comedy. Uh, uh, which, I don't know, maybe it's tied to that very basic bitch quote of life being a, what, comedy for those that think and a tragedy for those who feel, perhaps. Um, but I don't know. You you think about that for yourself, I think. I think that could be an interesting mental exercise for you. Maybe while you sit there pruning up in that bathtub. I'm sorry to keep thinking about you wet and naked. You can do whatever you want. Uh, yeah, so th- that was an interesting thing. I thought <laughs> he had... Will was did this when he was workshopping the material and now it is still in the show and I'm very glad it is because I think it's very funny. He uses those... I don't know. I In my mind, I first encountered these in Blinky Bill... Um, but I don't know if that's a fact. I don't know if Blinky Bill ever used these things, but they're the things that you hold in your hands and they're shaped like they're, they're metal, they're metal and they're shaped like L's and you hold the smaller part of the L in your hands and you point the long part of the L forwards. And then you're supposed to follow where the long end points wherever they like take you through like vibration. And then when the two like L's cross across each other, that's meant to indicate when you found water is my memory of what possibly Blinky Bill taught me about these like bent stick things. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Will used them to try to find the funniest spot in the room. Um, And I think that's red hot comedy. Uh, (laughs) And that's my take on that. He talked about having an imaginary friend and saying that his theory surrounding why people get imaginary friends is because they need the companionship that they're missing out on, um, which makes sense. Uh, And and it was funny for him to talk about how he would turn this imaginary friend into someone that was even lower than him on the social hierarchy. in the hierarchy that he was he was in as a child, I thought that was that's a, a funny little mind thing that his like child brain did. I never had an imaginary friend. I definitely um, thought a lot about um, like having like a witchy secret. Like you know that thing that always really confused me uh, um, about. I guess it always confused me. I bet I got to a point where it did start to confuse me when it was like in like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, or in Charmed, or I guess Bewitched as well. I didn't watch a lot of Bewitched, but I watched enough to have gone through a nose-twitching phase and to think I understand things. And alt- maybe this is a disconnected thought, but definitely hating the Will Ferrell movie. But uh, but the, the, the thing of how they would all be witches, but not be able to, like, they couldn't, they couldn't tell anybody. And that secrecy was, I think, in all those examples poorly explained i suppose in charmed they tried i'd say they attempted the best version of trying to uh show the ramifications in let's go deep on charmed (laughs) whereas like if you'll surely recall when their powers do get exposed at the end of season three it eventuates in the death of one of the sisters and so that's 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 maybe yes that that that's them establishing the the ramifications of their exposure um (laughs) Any Weaselbees. Yeah, no, never had an imaginary friend. My youngest sister did. His name was Wilbur. And I remember resenting him and I don't know why. It wasn't one of those classic male issue things of why does she like him more than me? I think 
it just, I just, honestly, interrogating it now, it was because I don't think she, like, committed hard enough to it, you know? I think I could have gotten around it if she was, like, you know, insisting that we leave a spot for him at dinner or, I don't know, having little conversations with him in front of us, but I think he just almost seemed like an imaginary friend of convenience. I'm not sure, but um, we cannot go into the, the the psychological mayhem of my youngest sister because we'll be here for a while. It'll, it'd be funny. <laughs> it'd be super funny, uh, but I, 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 it's not my place. It's not my place. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, Will has so much like enthusiasm and um, warmth and yeah, fills up a space real good. Um, and yeah, and he's got so many tremendous tools at his disposal. It's really cool when they all work together. Um, because yeah, cause he, he, yeah, knows how to tell a story and to find funniness in things. Um, yeah. And I certainly think I, I've gone on this rant before, maybe not here. I hope not here because you're about to get a little teaser trailer of it, but like, I think nice is not don't strive for nice. This isn't me talking directly to Will. This is talking to you. <laughs> um, nice. I think you don't want it to be in your top three qualities when people talk about you. And I think nice is a very attainable thing to like, you know, being nice isn't hard. It is for real dickheads. <laughs> um, you know, but I think try to make three other qualities, your top three. I think striving for nice, um, is, is a waste of yourself. Because nice etymologically comes from ignorance, um, and ignorant people are pleasant background characters, and you, you're better than that. <laughs> Will, you're better than that, <laughs> and you, sweet wet listener, um, are better than that as well. Hey there. Uh, so I went with Sebastiano Petruzzello, uh, to give you his full beautiful name, <laughs> um, Sebastiano from um, Stopover and Lenore fame, of course. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he and I went to see Just Super, um, which is a one-person show um, written by and starring Eddie Patterson. And the premise, like the whole idea, is that Eddie got super fixated on the idea of uh, of super forecasters, which is a term I'd never heard, um, but Eddie very well explained it to Sebastiano and I and rest of audience. And it's people who can predict things that happen obviously in the future <laughs> um, to a degree, but it has to be like to a degree, to a, like a statistical degree. Like it has to fall within this very impressive percentage band of how accurately um, they predicted the thing that they producted, <laughs> you know? So that, so this is like, uh, it became like a hyperfixation of Eddie's and they uh, went about, so th th there was this text written that would help you determine whether or not you were a super forecaster, like how to identify who is and isn't a super forecaster. And super forecasters, and yes, that is the 19th time I've said that word, uh, they, they have these nine qualities, or at least some of the, like, a particular amount of these nine qualities. It was all very percentagey, <laughs> um, which of course left left me a bit in the dark. I am not a I'm not a numbers guy. I'm more of a a dancer. But they are uh, yeah. So they uh, part of how the show structured and functioned and was developed was Eddie taking these qualities and then running them by a number of their close friends and family and asking if these people believed Eddie to possess those qualities. Um, so it was full of sort of like the, the show itself was full of grabs of like interviews and 
uh, tables and data and and the sounds of these people um, analysing Eddie uh, to determine this thing, whether or not Eddie is a, is a super forecaster. And throughout that, we, uh, obviously, of course, learn a bunch more about Eddie and, and the journey that they went on. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so it, in terms of, it was, it, it really had the tone of, um, being, <laughs> uh, kind of the feeling of like being cornered in, like at a party by someone with a real passionate interest and they kind of just like unload that interest onto you. Um, except in this case, it went for about 50 minutes and very, very fortunately, um, it was material being delivered by a very, you know, like a charismatic, listen toable person. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So for that reason, it was like, of course, it was like a brand new concept to me. It's fun to learn a new concept. Uh, and, and it was fun to spend time with Eddie. Um, and of course, uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, what an interesting thing that I now know exists is super forecasters. Um, and now you know as well. Uh, but yeah. And, and in reflecting upon the show, um, and in some of my conversations with Sebastiano immediately afterwards as well, um, got me thinking a little bit about um, uh, trying to see the future. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think it's the, for the, it's similar to the reason that I like, avo- I avoid psychics, which isn't an opportunity that I'm constantly offered. Like it's just, it's, I can count on one hand the number of times people have been like, Jake, want to come to a psychic with me? Um, and I've said no each time. Um, and to interrogate the reason would mean me saying, what would I have to say? It would be that I, I'm certainly afraid of having a version of the future to compare the true outcome to, I guess. Like if, if someone in big hoop earrings and a, and a fun hat and a crystal ball is like, oh, you're going to be a, an airline pilot and you're going to have twins and you're going to get shot in the elbow on a Thursday, I, you know, irrespective of their credentials and... Um, I don't know, and what tarot cards they toss at me. I'm always going to be a little bit comparing what like actually happens to that beautiful little illustration, I guess is something. I guess I certainly, this is also like eventuated in me having to like, at least for the time being until I forget to keep thinking about it, um, just, you know, be freshly aware of the fact that I get very, I just am a person who is very attached accidentally to, or at least has become somewhat reliant, maybe? Is reliant too strong? Time will tell. Reliant on the kind of like, magical appeal of potentialities. Um, I'm definitely a person um, who is afraid of making particular choices, I guess, because especially if those choices are the type that close you off from other potentialities, kind of irrespective of the quality of those potentials. Um, I don't know how you operate in your life, but I, I'm trying very, cons- like very, very deliberately, I'm working on trying to be better at making decisions, um, even big ones, even ones that have a degree of kind of like widespread certainty to them, um, because that's the only way that like a, a life deliberately happens, you know, to whatever extent you can deliberately live. It, 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 it's kind of contingent on you choosing things. Otherwise the universe just happens to you, you know, and your, your life just ends up being down the path of least resistance. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a thing that Eddie's, Eddie's show, um, led me to think about. Um, and, and now you're thinking about it too. Uh, hmm. 
Hey, so me and my friend Harry went to the Fringe Hub, <laughs> where a bunch of these are happening, uh, of course, and we went to see Manifesto by Riley Nottingham. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I was intrigued by this by this show because... Um, it, it, yeah, it sort of like, it sounded like it was going to be just like a list of things that Riley was mad about. And you know how sometimes you just need a bit of like, you know, societally induced rage purgation. Um, I just needed, uh, I was just, I, at least when I was, you know, arranging the ticket, it was like, <laughs> that's definitely a thing that I was in the mood for. I, maybe it was just because that day I got stuck like behind too many slow walkers or something as simple and pathetic as that. But it was just like, great. I just want to watch a guy yell about it with a keyboard. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, which is not what this show wasn't, <laughs> uh, which was very welcome. Um, yeah, he's, it's, uh, so yeah, Riley himself is a really, really talented singer, performer, and piano person player. Piano person player? I didn't just say piano player because it wasn't a piano, it was a keyboard, and my self-consciousness shone through with linguistic failure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's terrific. I think, um, something that stuck out in terms of, first off, he began the show as a dinosaur, which I was entranced by. I thought it was great. Um... Um, after the show, while we were walking out of the building, Harry did turn to me and asked, um, did we just go to that show because he was hot? And I said, uh, no, it wasn't irrelevant when I was purchasing the ticket, but it was more to do with societally induced rage, which is true. He can, like, Riley is handsome, but these two things can be factual. I can also be mad at the world and want someone to help me with those feelings. Um, so stop accusing me of things, please, everyone. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, so, so, something that Riley touched on, which resonated with me, was um, he, he had this whole sort of section and song about money and its toxifying impact on people and on the world. Um, and uh, it's certainly a, a rage that I, is burning strong inside of me. It was definitely inflamed by seeing that Aphids show the other day, Class Act, because that was, you know, a very effective piece of theatre. Uh, uh, yeah, it's certainly just... Uh, I'm a person who is easily enraged by classism and money, generally. <laughs> and and it, was, it was nice to have Riley very sort of, like, eloquently and cleverly dissect some of what is so enraging about the situation um he is the first person that i've ever heard uh lean on the hominem wordplay stylings of a uh, uh, gross income and he's like gross income maybe it's called gross income because it's gross uh which i enjoyed i thought it was clever i, thought, I like it when people find those sort of like uh, you know those things that are just there for the taking and they grab them and they make me chuckle in a room in trades hall <laughs> um Something that I don't think I've ever felt after a uh, cabaret before. And this is neither good nor bad. It's just unique to this show, I guess. Is I felt like I came out the other side of spending sort of 55 minutes with this man. Um, and I felt like I, don't, I knew nothing about him. <laughs> um, and again, that's not a negative thing. It's just a thing that I've never felt after especially after a cabaret, which of course the tradition of which is by the end, you've heard a bunch of stories, like very personal sort of like stories um, and heard a lot about uh, the, the, the experiences that they've gone through. And I guess he did share a lot of opinions, but somehow they felt like th those opinions weren't super, I don't know, super deep or something in terms of how much they connected to his, his sense of being a person, um, I guess, which was curious um, to me. 
who was interesting to have emerged from a one-man show, well, like a one-man cabaret feeling kind of like, feeling like I've really learned nothing more than than what the, like the poster told me about the person in terms of, like I couldn't tell you how many like siblings he has or, um, I don't know. I don't know what I, yeah. Again, it's, it's not about <laughs> any of my needs not being met as an audience member. I just think that's curious um, and not in a way that's made me mad. It's just made me think, I guess. Um, I'm excited. I, again, I really enjoyed watching him on stage. So if he does anything else, I'll report back to you and and let you know what I learn of him. (laughs) Um, Because for all I know, he's got a lot of real dark secrets and it's all going to be exposed in his next cabaret. Riley Nottingham, all those people I ate. Um, I'll I'll be there and and I'll I'll bring Harry. Um, Hey, so Charlie Josephine is a British playwright and they wrote a play called Pops. Um... I worry that I'm not saying that clearly. It's P-O-P-S, <laughs> um, the plural of pop, which is the name of one of the Rice Bubbles sailors. Are they sailors? I feel like they have sailor hats on. Why would they be sailors? Snap, crackle, pop. Is that why people think they have sex with each other? I'll solve this in my own time. Um, Pops. It was uh, This production was at Meat Market, produced by Gavin Roach, directed by Dirk Holt. Um, and it's about, um, uh, I guess we can start with like, so it's an, like an alcoholic daughter and alcoholic father. The daughter is in AA and the father is having struggled with alcoholism for his entire adult life. Um, the daughter was played by Bronte Charlotte and the father was played by Todd Levi. And it was a really good time. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, a, a credit to the performers and to the director, especially, and to the writer, um, the, the, the script itself um, is really challenging in the way of like having to try to stage it. Cause it's one of those, there's a lot of kind of like almost like robotic repetition, um, while still maintaining a lot of naturalism, which is, you know, a tricky fusion. Um, and it's, it's, it's of course really hard to convey a lot of clarity. Somehow, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. It's like, if you take naturalism and you skew it with these absurdist elements, um, it, 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 of course, I don't know, it almost starts feeling a little bit poetic in the way that you have to stage and structure and approach things in the way of like trying to strive for eloquence in a form that can sometimes feel like if you handle it wrong, it just obscures things for the point of seeming artsy as opposed to actually trying to guide the audience towards having an interesting experience. Um, and it's a credit to everyone involved that um, as oddly told as this interesting, like really interesting story was, um, that oddness certainly enhanced the experience as opposed to hiding the, you know, as, as, instead of just losing clarity for the sake of, I don't know, being odd, I guess, is something. I begin with that topic for no reason. That is not the most interesting thing about this text or this performance or this this production. Um, things that stuck out as being especially wonderful. So it's essentially like it's about this daughter and this father and their relationship um, and... I don't know, me me having a father and me having the specific father that I have, like this show is especially interesting, not because we're a pair of, you know, poorly functioning alcoholics, uh, we are not, but, <laughs> um, but there was certainly stuff in there, like the stuff that really stuck out to me um, was one thing was that hit real hard was the thing of 
the high stakes that are involved that are involved when it comes to having any of these and it's uh, you know a, a parent child relationship is a really great example of this of like anybody that is going to sort of like be in your life with any with any degree of permanency um and certainly especially if there's any type of like real tension and it of course tension tends to eventuate when you're in anything long term you know and maybe i don't even mean tension maybe i just mean you i don't know through time you just accumulate things that have not been resolved you know you just accumulate more and more things that don't have a conclusion yet um and maybe that lack of closure you get enough of those things and it just starts turning into a storm that you have to either fix or like you know learn to live inside of i suppose but there, yeah there was there, i don't know um in a, in a moment of especially like bronte charlotte's performance um where she kind of sort of frantically started up like apologizing after saying something relatively harsh to her father it really beautifully exemplified that feeling of like not wanting to say the wrong thing to a person because you know that there might not be any coming back from it and like you only get one dad you know you only get one daughter maybe you know you only, you only get one of everyone i guess <laughs> um and the fear that you can you know set the whole thing on fire with the wrong sentence um which, yeah, which is, a, yeah, a feeling that I'm sure you're familiar with, and I certainly am. Um, seeing that on stage uh, really felt good in in the way that theatre can hurt sometimes. Um, it felt good. Um, so there was that going on. Um, there was this beautiful returning image of of this this moment that they both described, like the, the, the daughter and the father were described from their different perspectives of a day when the father had sort of had, had fallen unconscious on the kitchen floor because of, of because of drinking. And it's described as there being a beached whale in the kitchen, which I just thought was like a real beautiful way of describing that image. Um, and, and hearing about the experience of the two of them from both sides was really beautiful. You get, you, first off, you get like the concerned daughter. And then on the other side, you get <laughs> the super drunk dad lying on the kitchen floor being irritated by her concern you know and again it was it was like some real like grimy human insight on both ends of that thing that that really resonated with me um there was some real stunning stuff lurking inside the physicality of the performers for a lot of their confrontations there was one moment where somehow the way that they were moving their bodies and having this conversation they were just sort of like standing a meter apart from each other having this kind of like screaming match but something about the way that they were just like using their spines somehow it just conjured so vividly in my mind this thought of like two snakes trying to bite each other um and and i don't know some i don't know you know <laughs> I, I not to keep coming back to charmed but it's like <laughs> when like Alyssa milano would would have a premonition because she touched something that some i don't know that julian mcmahon had used to slap somebody with it, it felt like somehow watching this the, these movements and these characters it was just like these snakes were just you know squirming around in my mind and um i don't know that was just a cool cool experience in terms of what the show had to say about parenting i think something that me being not a parent <laughs> uh um somehow something that still hit me real hard um as if julian mcmahon himself were doing it i i seeing todd levi in this passage of text talk about 
you know, reflecting on the experience of holding his daughter in his arms when she was a baby. And something in the truth of the text and his performance um, really stuck out to me. And it's a thing that, I, I don't know, in the last few years, is a thing that I have been circling back to when dealing with, you know, particular things, whatever, is the thing of a, a parent fantasizing for that time to come back, the time when their child or their children were really just potential, that point where they are these babies, like these, just like these little, you know what a baby is, I don't need to make some sort of <laughs> gross metaphor happen, when when their children are just like all potential and they're all just hope and they're all just this vessel of possibility. And, oh God, and just like, I don't know, thinking about all the parents that have to watch, have to get to all these parents that watch these little, like, you know, flesh creatures go on to then either come close to their hopes for these little people that they made to get nowhere near what they wanted them to accomplish. You know, like, I don't know, the thought that, that we're all, <laughs> I don't know, and maybe this is generalizing to the point of irrelevance, I don't know, but what the, 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 the train tracks that this play put my mind on was the idea that part of being a parent is accidentally watching your children live up to or disappoint you in terms of what you had hoped for them and obviously and and maybe i'm saying very simple things and maybe i should have thought about these things in a more developed way before seeing pops but this this play made me sort of like yank it all into into clarity for myself so now i'm going to bore you with it um but uh the the thought of the people that our parents want us to be whether or not that's a thing that they determine the moment that they have the baby or whether that's a thing that changes throughout but um I don't know, until if I end up having a child uh, or children, I don't know. But um, I, I have to wonder what that's like to, I'm sure, against your will, you'd have an idea of what you imagine parenting to be like and what you want your children to be like, whether or not it, if, if it's things you want them to do or things you want them to dream of or things you want them to even just be like or look like or treat you like, I guess. I don't know. There's all these fantasies. And when they're a baby, they are just fantasy. <laughs> Um, and seeing a dad with an adult daughter looking back so fondly at the time when she was just possibility and before she had disappointed him um, was upsetting. <laughs> um, yeah, I found this play very moving. And um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to stop talking about it now. But, um, yeah, the two performers did a great job. Um, yeah. Strong piece of fringe theatre. Hey, um, yeah, blow those candles out. Um, get out of that bathtub, dry yourself off, and, I don't know, go about the rest of your day, because we are, we're done. We, we got through five shows together. Um, thank you for being here with me on this but it's, oh my gosh, yeah, it's like 1.30 in the morning. Um, it is late. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Th yeah, thanks. Thanks for spending this time with me. Um, uh, again, if this is, 
If this is happening around the time of Fringe, I hope you've managed to see a couple of things. Um, yeah, this is a really cool time. And again, it's great to sort of like, I don't know, be out there seeing so much stuff, so much really exciting, inspiring, cool, weird stuff. And it makes it especially fun to be able to talk to you guys about it. Um, so thank you for being that side of this conversation because, um, yeah, yeah, if you weren't there, I wouldn't be here doing this. And this is really fun and fulfilling. So anyway, um, yeah, happy fringe, fringe what? Fringulaza. Fringulaza. I'm going to go with Fringulaza because um, in year six, I did a project on Adulaza, which is a festival in Afghanistan. And that's just trivia for you. A goat gets murdered at some point during the festival. That's I mostly retained that and Mrs. Cromie's um, really rigorous takedown of, of the assignment. Um, it was a group assignment and she wasn't happy with the original iteration of it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why that's filed away so, so detailedly. Anyway, um, speak to you really, really soon. There'll be the, another episode of this very soon. There's so much fringe to be talked about. Um, and we're going to do the talking. Um, yeah, again, thank you for being here. Um, uh, as usual, I may already disagree with everything I just said, and friends don't let friends become theatre critics, so stop considering it. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk to you super duper soon.